See, people, you're not always uh, conscious, right, of what's going on in their, in their soul, what's going on in their mind and in their heart, how God is working with them, what they're dealing with, what they're thinking about. Um, one of the books that Michael was uh, uh, given was uh, More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. I don't know if you've heard of this. Josh was a college student in California. He came across some, some Christians and basically was mocking them for believing something so illogical. And they challenged him, you check out, research Jesus, the resurrection, and then you come back and tell us it's illogical. So he did that. And in the process, he came to realize that, my goodness, this is true. Uh, this book chronicles his journey. Uh, we've got a limited number of these, by the way, in the back at the uh, information desk. If afterwards you, you want one, just stop back there and tell them, hey, I want one of those books. And... They'll be sure and get that for you. The re- resurrection obviously is rejected straight up by, by many folk. Uh, no question about it. Angry often. It's, it's considered illogical. Other folk just doubt it. They're not really certain. The vast majority of people today, though, I believe they just dismiss it as irrelevant. You know, maybe he rose, maybe he didn't rise, who knows. But either way, what does it have to do with me today? This is kind of an irrelevant thing, and they just kind of push it off. But for for those people, I mean, everybody from from Michael, Josh McDowell, Bono, you too, when when you when you stop and you focus on the resurrection and and you you spend some time looking into it, it brings you to a crossroad of of, of eternal proportions where it can radically, for the good, change your life. And so what we want to do this morning is Easter, right? You, you would expect this. We're going to focus on the uh, Easter story. And while we're doing that, we just want to ask ourselves a simple question. How is it that this event that happened 2,000 years ago is really so life Altering is so life changing. Now, the, the Easter story is found in, in all four Gospels, but I'm going to read it from you from Matthew 28. Matthew 28. So just listen. It says, Now, after the Sabbath, let me give you some background. After the Sabbath, right? What, what, what are they talking about? Well, Easter is on, I'm going to be on Sunday. But if you back up from the original Easter, just a few days, you come to Thursday, which is uh, the, the day of the Last Supper. And the, the Last Supper, apostles didn't know it was going to be the Last Supper, right? They go to this thing, and actually it's a celebrative time because Jesus' popularity was just zenith, and everybody was, you know, Jesus. And so these, these apostles are thinking, this is really pretty cool. They're riding to glory and fame and, and status on the coattails or togatails, whatever, of Jesus, and they are just prompt about this. Right? This is great. About halfway through the dinner, I mean, they're toasting and high-fiving and having a good time, Half Halfway through the dinner, Jesus says, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, quiet, quiet, shh, I've got an announcement to make. And he announces, I'm going to be leaving. And they are confused. Why? What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm going to be leaving. And uh, so there are Thursdays, a time of confusion for them. The next day, Friday, Good Friday, actually starts about 2 in the morning. The, the Last Supper was, was done. They were in Gethsemane. Jesus is praying. Um, he knows what's coming. Luke tells us he's sweating drops of, of blood, literally, as he's praying, because he knows what's going to happen. About 4 a.m., the temple guards come to, to arrest Jesus. 
they, they take him to the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was a, a uh, religious political governing authority. Rome was in charge, but of all the Roman Empire, there was only one place where they allowed the people to kind of quasi-govern themselves, and that was in Israel where the, where the uh, Sanhedrin would, would govern underneath Rome. And the Sanhedrin knew we got to get rid of Jesus because he's too popular and all the people are trying to make him king. And when Caesar hears about this idea that there's a king, it's just going to be a bloodbath here. And so we got to get rid of him. And so they're trying to figure out how to get rid of him. They can't really. They're bringing in false witnesses and those guys aren't collaborative with their stories. And so... It looks like Jesus is going to walk, but then Jesus opens his mouth and they, they say, Jesus, who are you? And he says, I'm the Messiah, the son of God. And it's exactly what they wanted. Okay, blasphemy. We got him. So they take him to Pilate, who's the Roman governor. See, they didn't have the power to kill him. So they bring him to Pilate about 8 o'clock. Uh, Pilate wants to let him go, not because Pilate likes Jesus. Pilate is a bloodthirsty guy that had killed many, many, many people and was going to kill many. Killing this, this Jew in front of him was not a big deal to him. But he hated the Sanhedrin time, trying to tell him what to do. And so Pilate and the Sanhedrin were always. But his job by Caesar was to keep peace in the land. So he succumbs. Jesus is crucified. He's, he's put on the cross around 9 in the morning. By 3 in the afternoon, he's dead. Uh, he's, he's, he's put in a tomb. He's buried before uh, nightfall. Uh, it's Friday. Friday. Uh, nightmare, right? A, a terror. Of Fridays is not the way life is supposed to go. Friday, pain. Saturday. You ever, you ever think about Saturday with the apostles? I mean, it's it's interesting. You got you got uh, the Via Della Rosa. It's still covered, stained with Jesus' blood. But all the people who are screaming "Crucify!" they're they're all gone. Streets are quiet. The, the, what are they thinking? They got to be be thinking what in the world happened. What in God's name happened? And you, you know, there, there's, there's God. What what transpired here? And they're getting silence. God, you got to help us out here. This is not the way it was supposed to happen. Silence. God, will you give me some strength? Will you help me get through this and make some sense of it? Silence. You know, it's amazing to me that the Bible speaks so much about Friday, so much about Sunday, and just a little bit about Saturday, and yet we live much of our lives on Saturday, don't we? We don't understand. We cry out, God, and we get silence. And problem is, we don't know if Saturday is going to last forever, if a Sunday will ever come. It doesn't look like it on, on Saturday. But then you get to Sunday. And it says, now after the Sabbath, that was Saturday, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the tomb, uh, the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. for He's risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where, where he lay. It didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. Jesus got out with the stone still there. Stone was rolled away so that the gals could get in, so they could see. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. 
So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. You know, it's kind of a wild thing. You see him, hello, how are you doing? Yeah, it's kind of an understatement, greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him, I guess. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there you will see me. What, what happens here is what sets Christianity apart. Um, culture would tell us, you know, being politically correct and all that, that Christianity is just kind of like one of the world's key religions, and we're just kind of like one among all of them. And, uh, Christianity is not just like all the world's religions. I hope you, you, you see that. Um, Christianity is not even one of the world's main religions. Christianity is not even uh, a little bit above, head and shoulders above peers. Christianity is in a whole different place. A whole different place. Because all other world religions, all other philosophical systems in life are based on the teaching uh, of the founder. You know, Islam's based on the teachings of Muhammad, uh, Buddhism on the, on the Buddhas, uh, Marxism on Karl Marx. But Christianity is not based on the teachings of Jesus. Christianity is based on who he was and what he did. That's a, it's a huge difference. You've got to understand that's a huge difference. Who he was, what he did. Now, as believers, Christians, you're supposed to follow his teachings, right? One level or another, we succeed or don't. But Christianity is not a doctrinal statement. It's a, it's a, it's that, that's that's it's based on what he did, what Jesus did. Uh, that makes Christianity radically different than any other world religion. And and it was because Jesus himself, the founder, was radically different than any other religious founder. Um, He was different in his claims. Jesus made some pretty uh, audacious claims for himself. He claimed that he was God. Now, no other religious founder would make that claim. Not to my knowledge, no other religious founder would claim that they were the God. Jesus says it. Here you got him at his last supper talking with Philip. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. He knew Father was speaking of Yahweh, Creator, Almighty God. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I said to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Next next text. Jesus is here talking with the, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are asking him straight up, you know, kind of who gives you the right to be in charge? You know, who made you king kind of thing, right? And so uh, Jesus is answering them. And he said, your father, these Jewish folk, your father Abraham, who lived like 2,000 years before Jesus, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they know that Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus, so they're kind of figuring things out. And they say, you're not even 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. That 
word, I am, is in the Old Testament, God's Yahweh's. It's his personal name. So Jesus is claiming, before Abraham was around, guys, God. And this, this was uh, blowing their mind, obviously. Uh, Jesus is saying straight up, he, he's, he's God. Now, C.S. Lewis has let us know, he reminds us that one of three things is, is going on with Jesus here. Either A, he's lying, right? He really wasn't God. He knew he wasn't God. He was just kind of telling people this. And if you would want to fall in that boat, you've got to make sure you recognize that not only is he, a, is he a liar, he's an evil liar because he knows that the people who buy this story that he's God, many of them will be killed. Their families will be killed because of this story. So either A, Jesus is a liar, or maybe B, he's a lunatic. You know, he's just kind of crazy. He's just psychotic. He's just delusional. He thought he was God, you know, but he really wasn't. You know, the world is filled with people kind of like that. Uh, but if you look at his life of Jesus, he doesn't display any characteristics of, of psychosis or, or insanity. He's in perfect emotional balance and stability under great pressure. Uh, when he's being questioned by the Harvard PhDs at the time, Jesus is not blubbering all kinds of uh, incoherent things. He's answering their questions on an incredibly deep level. His his understanding and his uh, rationality and his, is 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 blowing them away. Uh, Jesus, if you look at his life, is not a psychotic life that is so completely obsessed with self, but he's obsessed with other people. And so Jesus doesn't fit that, that bill. And whether he's a liar or a lunatic, and Lewis would tell us, or third, maybe it's just true. Maybe he's just God. Now, this is important for us to realize. No other religious leader even thought or would declare that he was God. Jesus alone. Jesus is unique in that. A second place where Jesus is unique is he's unique in his works. And this makes sense. You say you're God, prove it. You know, put your money where your mouth is, man. You know, show me the cash. You God, oh yeah, prove it. So, gospels, there's all kinds of instances where he seeks to do that. You look at, at some of the things he's done. This is just some of the things he's done, right? Healed paralysis, healed uh, uh, gnarled limbs. He calms the storm. He raises the dead. He walks on the sea. He heals deafness. He multiplies bread. He heals blindness. He casts out demons. On and on. Remember when when he's in the boat and the, going like this in the wind and the waves, and the disciples are freaking out. They're thinking they're going to die. And Jesus stands up and he, hey, be quiet. And everything, stop, get still. What do his apostles do? Right? They kind of look at each other and they say, who is this guy? The, 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 the wind and the waves obey him. He casts out demons. And what do the people say? Who is this guy that Satan's got to listen to him? He, he heals blindness, right? And the people all around are saying, who is this? He can reverse DNA for crying out loud. Matter of fact, interesting verse. Next text. You get, you get Jesus, he says that I and the Father are one. Right? He's still on this. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? 
We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews. This would have been a great place for them to say, you did not do those things. We're not stoning you for any of those things, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus has got to be saying, time out. A mere man can't do those things. You go ahead and try it. A mere man can't. This is why I'm doing them to show you that I, I am. You know, it's interesting. No other religious founder claimed, even claimed, to do miracles. But Jesus, he, worlds apart, whole different category, claims to do evidence that he did miracles. Jesus is also unique in his, in his death. This is fascinating to me. Jesus claimed when he was here on earth that the reason why he came was to die. No, no other religious leader claimed that. Yeah, the reason I'm here is to die. This is what Jesus said. Look at this, uh, Mark 8. He says, he said, to, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus is telling them this next. Says the reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. What's he mean by that? No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus wasn't a martyr. He was the victim of these bad. No one takes it from me. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father's next. This is... Fascinating. John 12, he's praying, right? He says, now my heart is troubled. He's getting closer to the cross. He knows what's going on. He says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. I came to die. Remember Matthew 26, you remember this, where they're in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the guards come to get Jesus, and Peter pulls his little dagger, and he's going to take on the, the guards. And Jesus says, put it away, Peter. Don't you realize... I could call thousands of angels, but I've got to go through this. This is why I'm here. No other religious leader much is made of his death at all. Uh, Even if you were to look in uh, famous folk, Marie Antoinette or uh, Martin Luther King Jr. or JFK, right? Folk whose whose death was conspiratorial and Even in their biographies, their death would only take a couple of chapters. It would take a minor portion of the story of their life. We've got four biographies of Jesus in the the, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one, one one-third of the Gospels, each one-third of them talks about his death. His death is not a side thing. It's not like, oh, I guess he had to die. It's the reason he came. And we got to ask ourselves, why? What does that mean? Jesus also is, is unique in his resurrection. This is, this is, if you were to go to the tomb of Muhammad or one of the Buddhas or Confucius, you would find their remains. Because you know what? No religious leader uh, other than Jesus, no other religious leader claimed that he would rise from the dead. No religious leader, none, had his followers claim that he rose from the dead. Only one, Jesus. This whole Jesus, Christianity, it's a, it's a world, it's not just one of all the others. Radically, radically different. You know, if you were to take uh, all the people that saw Jesus after he he. After, after he rose, 
And we were to bring them up here and just have them give us 15 minutes. Just you tell us what you saw, your experience with Jesus after he rose. And we were to let those guys talk for just 15 minutes. You know what? We'd be here all day and all night and all day Monday and all night Monday night and all day Tuesday and all night Tuesday night, all day Wednesday, all all night Wednesday night, all day Thursday, all night Thursday night. And this, the, the session would end sometime around Friday morning. These are people who saw Jesus after he rose. This is why Paul, when he's later on, the Apostle Paul could tell Agrippa, the guy was, he was in court with, he said, King Agrippa, you know that this was not done in a corner. You know this is, this is a big thing. It's a big deal. This resurrection is is. is Substantial. I'll tell you, uh, 1996, I suppose, I think I was, uh, uh, I don't even know what you call it. I, I, my, my health kind of crashed on me. I don't know if you've ever been on a tilt-a-whirl at the amusement thing, you know. Just, just assume you're on a tilt-a-whirl that's been supercharged, man, and it's consistently spinning around in the whole world. Is, this is how suddenly my, my life went. Where everywhere I went was spinning. I remember being thrown out of bed because the world room was spinning so hard. You couldn't keep anything down. The whole medical community in Cincinnati didn't have a clue what was going on with me. So they knew something was up neurologically, but they didn't know what. I'm at Mayo Clinic, and the neurologist at Mayo ended up saying, you know what, you've got something on the back part of your, your brain. And it's just kind of like someone, looks like someone took a handful of sand and just kind of threw it there. And, uh, I'm, so is this cancer? Well, we don't know. We've got to biopsy and figure this out so we know how to treat it. University of Cincinnati back, they biopsy. I'm waiting for the results. And I remember I'm laying in my bed. I can't do much of anything else. And uh, I get a phone call. The only one home. And I get a phone call from a former student of mine. And uh, he called up, I think, just to say goodbye. And so we're talking, and it was a great conversation. And as I hung up, I thought, you know, Lord, dying at 35, this kind of really stinks. But you know what? Okay. All right. I'm cool with it. Let's go. And that which made a difference for me when I was living on Saturday was the idea that Jesus... He conquered death. You know, he, he rose from the dead. The, the, the death is not the end of it. It just kind of changes your address. That's all, all it, it does. It's not a, an ending at all. And when you're living on, if you're living on Saturday right now, and you've got that uh, silence and you're not sure, when you know of the resurrection, it gives you a, a, a strength and a peace in order to, to continue on. If you hang on to that, then you can you can make it. You can go. You can be there. So I, I, I see Christianity is not. This, we need to clarify this. It's not a list of rules, and it's not. A, I go to church, and it's not a doctrinal statement I adhere to, and it's definitely not a voting block that's out there. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is literally a relationship with with God, where you are are with Him and communicating. He communicates to you through His Word every day, twenty four seven. It just is radically different. And if you go into this thing thinking who wants to be a part of all those rules and the Crusades and all that. You're going to get all tripped up. It's not those things. 
It's a relationship uh, with him. I, I remember when I was a little kid and I, I first heard this. It just changed my life. Now, um, what goes on next in the story, Matthew uh, 28, you know, Jesus said, tell these guys, I'll meet them in Galilee. So that's what, what happens. He meets them in Galilee. And when he meets these guys in Galilee, he's getting ready to, to ascend into heaven. He says, one last thing, guys. Uh, Mark, Mark 16, he says it. I want you to go into all the world and teach the gospel. Right? And all the world. This is the last thing he said. Because I rose, all the world preached the gospel. Now, two things with this. It lets me know that the gospel, again, is for all the world. That means there's no boundaries. That means this message is for uh, regardless of your gender or regardless of your age or regardless uh, of your socioeconomic background or your nationality. This, this, this gospel is for you. It comes with an invitation. This invitation is for uh, everybody. No one can say I'm excluded. No, all the world's pretty big and I think you fit in it. So it's for everybody. The second thing though is when he said pre- Preach the gospel, you got to ask yourself, preach just means say it, proclaim it. Um, well, what is the gospel? And the gospel is really, in a nutshell, what this whole story is about. The gospel means this. It means that an entrance requirement into the kingdom of God is grace-based, not performance-based. It's grace-based, not performance-based. Now, when I first heard this thing, I was a little kid, and, you know, I really didn't think a whole lot about God. I was a little kid. God, oh, yeah, sure, that's right. But if somebody would have asked me, how do you get into a relationship with God? I'm sure I would have come off of a, I had a version of the the performance-based deal. Well, come on, you got to be good. You gotta figure out what he says don't do and don't do those things. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta please him. You gotta live your life in such a way to please him. And then hopefully, you know, you've done more good than bad and you're, and you're in. That's, that's what you gotta do. That's what I would have said. And then this guy showed me a couple of verses that literally changed my life. I want to show them to you. Powerful verses. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This man, you're you're on a a performance treadmill. But you know, it's not because I went to church, and it's not because I gave offering, and I tried to be good and was nice to people. He says, no, 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 it's not. A result of I've, I've got enough moral merit badges, you know, on my, my sash, and therefore I can come in. Uh, Christianity says there's no way in the world you and I could do enough uh, good things to earn our way to a holy, sinless, perfect God. And even if you could do lots of good things, and we do lots of good things, you could never erase the bad things that you've done, and we've all got lists of those. It's this is what separates Christianity. Every other world religion, to my knowledge, every one is performance based. You do enough good things. You, you believe this way. You say these things. You go here. And then one day, if you do enough of them right, maybe good things will happen to you when you die. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's, it's grace based. It's not performance based. 
you know, I'll, I'll tell you, when I, when I heard this, I still remember that the night I heard this, and I was flabbergasted. I mean, I was, I don't know how else to explain it, but then to say my heart kicked into a different gear. And, you know, 46 years later, it's still in that same gear. But I was excited. I thought, oh, my goodness, God, I'm just a... a Little kid, I lived in insecurity, I lived in fear, I lived the performance thing even as a little kid. But if you love me like that, if this grace is, is good, so I, I remember that night I got home, uh, got up in my bunk bed, and I, I prayed, and I said, that's, I said, God, I'll tell you what, if this grace is real, I'm all in. I didn't know what all in meant, right? Who knows? Who knows at that point? But I'm all in. Thank you for dying for me. You want my life. Here it is. I want to, to follow you. <laughs> Thanks. Forgive me. Uh, changed my, changed my life. It's a, a in, incredible uh, shift. So the question is for you this morning, do you believe that this is grace-based? Or are you still on the performance-based deal? You're trying to do enough good things. I can just tell you, it's going to wear you out, and you're never going to know if you've done enough of them. And, and even so, what about those bad things you've done? It's grace-based. If you, In your bulletin, would you turn your bulletin? Believe it or not, your bulletin. There's a little thing that says, tell us about you. You, you, see, you see this? Notice the very bottom says it's all about grace, yes slash no. This is really where you need to start. And you need to start and ask yourself, do I believe this is all about grace? That, that the grace is, is the requirements to get into the kingdom. That I can't do anything. I can't do enough to get there. Do I hold to that? And if you say you would circle the yes, I circle the yes. If you say yes, then second question, got a follow-up question. And that's this, when did you embrace grace? When? For, for me, easy enough, November 1969. This is a Friday night, uh, probably around 9 o'clock because that's when our group was done and I, when I got up in my, my bed and committed my life to Christ. Now, some of y'all, if I asked when, you'd give the exact specific time and date, and you, you got it nailed out. And I would encourage you right there just to write that down even now. And some of y'all might say, I believe it's the grace, I'm there, I, I gave up the whole be good enough a long time ago. Um, I don't remember exactly, though. It's probably between uh, August and December 2003. It was kind of a process for me, and, and that's fine. That's That's good. But some of y'all here, too, might say, you know, I believe it's a grace-based thing. But I don't know if I have ever, formally anyway, or you know, officially, personally, embraced grace. And maybe you would say, just to, to clear things up, you know, just to put this in the rear view, just to make sure, I'm going to write down for my date Easter 2017. I'm going to put that down. And perhaps that's where you need to be. And let me explain what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then the, uh, the band guys, musicians, will come back out, and they're going to, to uh, sing. And 
as they're singing, here's the deal. If you've circled, yes, it's all about grace for me, and you put the date down, whatever your date would be, then just worship. Just think of the words of the song, but just be recognized, God, thank you for opening my eyes, for introducing me to your grace. Thank you, God. And, and if, in fact, you're not sure and you want to put down that, that Easter 2017, then here's the deal. You can pray a bunk, prayer, bunk bed prayer like I did long ago and just say, God, you know, I've never formally surrendered my life to you. But I want to embrace your grace. Now, thank you for dying for me. I'm all in. Like Michael prayed. There. Don't know what it means. But I'm there. Would you take my... Would you take my life? And then, as we're coming towards the end of that song, the ushers will come forward. They'll take up our, our offering. If you're visiting, don't put any offering in the offering plate. But we want everybody to put your, uh, uh, tell us about you card in the offering plate. And that would kind of be a, an opportunity for you to kind of drive the stake down and say, yes, I'm, I'm embraced grace. Would you pray with me?